Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Action Network Podcast, named Best Betting Podcast or Radio Show by the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association and the number one show for the invested sports fan. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the College Football Betting Preview Part 2. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. Recovering from that just insane FCS game where uh, the trolls came out at night, so you know football is back um, when people are trying to troll picks instead of being for each other and against the books. Uh, What's going on, Colin? We're into episode number two, and we haven't been canceled, so that means college football is still on. So that's good news. That Austin P Central Arkansas game was quite interesting. We uh, got a couple hashtags to be created. Some of our old trolls from our past came out, decided to pound their chest when they were quiet for three hours with a Central Arkansas bet. I said this with some of our friends, with Eli and Nick. You should cap the game and 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 not the noise. All right, I'm going to bet based on teams, players, coaches, schemes numbers and market and if you're the kind of better that's going to sit out there and wait till two hours in advance for a notice on covid and that's the way you're going to handicap this season you're going to be 42 percent at the end of the year you're not going to be a very good handicapper if you're just waiting for that news on covid now saying that stuck you know what the most interesting thing of the weekend was the point spread did not move a damn bit when all american Jessica smith was knocked out d'angelo wilson the all all american wide receiver was point spread didn't move a half point that tells me that some of these odds makers already know who was not going to get on that bus for Austin P. I mean, this is sort of our template. It's our first game of the year, right? So this could be signs of things to come. But that point spread did not move at all, and news was everywhere. And I'm sure Central Arkansas was getting hammered. Yeah, that's going to be one of the most interesting parts of capping this college football season is the news aspect and finding out of the day of who's out. And there's going to be some wild line moves. And today we're going to get to, we're going to talk Big 12. We're going to talk a lot of Big 12. We'll talk some ACC. We'll talk the Thursday night games. If you're listening to this. This episode came out on Thursday. We'll have an episode tomorrow covering the week one games. Uh, I'm excited to talk specifically some, as always, service academy games. Two of the five are service academy games. I'm leaning towards my first bet of the year is going to be on the Army game at 1.30 Eastern on Saturday on CBS Sports Network, which just feels so damn right. But that's for tomorrow's episode. Uh, before we get into the Big 12, there's a lot of rumors out there about the Big 10 there's this like Twitter account, Yacht something, who just like I think makes up things and just hoping that he's right and then he'll gain a lot of notoriety. I talked with Brett McMurphy today, who would know better than anyone. And I was like, I mean, is there any validity to these rumors? He says, no, there's a task force made up of two or three dozen people. They're supposed to give information about the possibility of returning to play football. That's not due back for another week. Once all that info is obtained, they then pre- present that to the university presidents in the Big Ten. And then they can decide whether they want to start playing in November, January or the spring. That's it. And then keep in mind, 11 of the 14 
big tech presidents voted against it. They'd all have to change their mind. I'm not going to get into politics here, but it's probably a smart strategic move by Trump, you know, being like, I'm trying to get the football back for some of, for some of these swing states. But I don't think there's much to it. It doesn't look like the Big Ten is going to be part of this. If it is, great. We'll welcome them with open arms. We'll preview those teams, be talking about them all year. But as of now, I think that's just noise. Um, let's get into the Big 12, which I'm excited to talk about because it's a really interesting conference this year there's a lot of returning quarterbacks right every team there's 10 i always i hate this there's 10 teams in the big 12 you know there's it just makes no sense but everyone but kansas and oklahoma has a returning quarterback who started last year although now it looks like tcu might not with max duggan looking like he he has a heart condition and doesn't look like he'll play maybe maybe not and they might have to start walk on a a kid who walked on at georgia was behind from uh and fields there We'll get to TCU, but there's a lot of quarterbacks back. There's a lot of coaches back. I think Baylor is the only coaching change. Baylor and Texas are the only two teams that have new OCs and DCs. So there's a lot of stability, which I think helps coming into this year. So you, you, should, you could see some higher quality play in the Big 12 early on. But we have to start with Oklahoma. Oklahoma's won five straight Big 12 titles, two losses in each of the past five years. That second loss usually comes to the College World Playoff, and they've lost one other game. The big question here with Oklahoma is there's two, right? The defense was really improved um, last year under Alex Grinch. They got a lot more pressure. Um, it was just a more aggressive scheme, and it just shows you what scheme can do for a defense. Obviously, they lose Motley and they lose Kenneth Murray to the NFL, but it's a defense that I think can still be a much better unit that we saw back in 2008, something that we saw last year where it was actually – they improved by 1,000 yards overall last year. So it's – but it's, Oklahoma, it's not about the defense. It's about the offense. The offensive line – brings everybody back. Creed Humphrey is one of the best centers in all of college football. They lost CeeDee Lamb, but you have Rambo coming back. You have some really interesting transfers that are coming. Obi Obiala, who I was a huge fan of at Marshall. You have the kid out of UCLA who's coming in. His bridges is suspended half the year. Hassel was recovering from an injury, but there's a lot of depth of wide receiver. So it comes down to the quarterback position. Spencer Rattler, redshirt freshman, is the first time that Lincoln Riley, the quarterback whisperer, doesn't have a, an experienced quarterback. But it is the first time he has a quarterback coming into the year that understands his system. The wrench that got thrown into all this is Kennedy Brooks, their running back, decided to opt out. So there are some questions on Oklahoma. It should still be an electric offense, as always. What do you see with Oklahoma overall? Well, let's start off with the odds board. And, and you know, per our odds provider for the podcast, BetMGM, uh, you know, Oklahoma is sitting at minus 120, and that is an extremely smart number because the last couple of years, we have been gifted numbers of taking Oklahoma plus 150, plus 170, plus 130. That's not what their money line is going to be in the Big 12 championship game. So, you know, finally, they're getting smart enough with this round robin format that the conference is in, and you're going to seed the top two. Uh, Oklahoma is never going to finish third or worse in this conference. Uh, you know, if they do, they probably light the program on fire. But, uh, you know, Oklahoma minus 120 is, is is a proper line. It's probably the stopping point is, is plus 110 uh, to buy them. But everything you said is true. And I'll focus more. I think what's interesting about Lincoln Riley being the quarterback whisperer, when you think about Baker Mayfield, you think about Kyler Murray, and you think about Jalen Hurts, I've never seen him so comfortable with an unknown quantity. Now, uh, we, I know who Kyler Murray was when he was at Texas A&M. You just had to watch a couple, little bit of film on that kid, and you knew he was going to be special. But what do we have on Spencer Rattler? I mean, he's not really been shown off to the world, and Lincoln Riley talks with ease and calmness when it's about how confident he is and Spencer Rattler. And I will tell you this, this OU quarterback will be one of the most protected quarterbacks that's been there in a long time. We're talking all five offensive linemen uh, you know, return, double-digit starts for Robinson, Hayes, Humphrey, Ely, Murray – eight starts in the bag for Swinson. And then there's a host of other offensive linemen that have time. This is going to be a very beefed up. I mean, you could, I mean, Kennedy Brooks is a big loss, but at the same time, this is going to be one of the best offensive line easily in this conference, maybe, you know, maybe in the nation uh, for who's left that's playing. And then you mentioned, you touched on Alex Grinch. What a change. Cause two years ago, we laughed at Oklahoma and the college football playoff because essentially their secondary was a bunch of lawn chairs out there next to yard markers. Alex Grinch comes in uh, 70% of that defense is going to return. They had a success rate of 51st in the nation in 2019. You say 51st, that's not very good. They were around 100th. <laughs> Oklahoma was terrible on defense. They allowed anybody to have an explosive play. And now last year, Alex Grinch, Mr. Havoc from Washington state, 
10th in havoc for OU last year, uh, triple digits for a team and tackles for loss. Uh, the defense was lifeless before Grinch came. Uh, OU is the cream of the crop. And if Lincoln Riley is going to be calm about Spencer Rattler, I'm going to be calm about Spencer Rattler. Yeah, you make a great point with the offensive line. And you see that in the pros now with Kyler Murray, who I think is going to be really good, but he tends to take too many sacks. Baker Mayfield is, you know, he bails out of the pocket. These guys are used to going to Oklahoma and just sitting back there and getting protected all day long. So Rattler will have the benefit of that. The running back position, it is interesting because they did lose Trey Sermon already. Their senior Stevenson, I think, suspended for the first few games. But does it really matter in that offense, behind that offense line? Obviously, Oklahoma reloads. But they did lose a lot from the running back position. The defense, not only was it more aggressive, more successful last year, and they did lost a couple key pieces. And then keep an eye on the Ronnie Perkins suspension. I think it's being appealed. But they bring 12 of their top 15 tacklers back. And last year, they were 121st in the nation in takeaways. And we know that that's sort of lucky and tends to regress. So if the turnovers and some of the bounces go their way, defense could be even better than last year. Oh, and by the way, I have to get my first special teams mention in. Oklahoma has one of the best kickers in college football. He made all 69 of his kicks last year, extra points and field goals. Nice. Um, So the question is, if it's not Oklahoma's minus 120 favorite per MGM, and thanks to you guys, thanks to the listeners, we now have this podcast sponsor. There's going to be contests coming with free stuff and no rake fantasy contests and things like that for trips. So we have, we have appreciate you, the listeners, and also at MGM. So we'll be quoting their lines. But the question in the Big 12 is, if it's not Oklahoma, who might it be? Oklahoma State, Texas are the first two teams that you would start with. So let's start with Oklahoma State. When the first thing you think, I, and this applies to actually Oklahoma State and Texas, the first thing I think about is experience. These two teams are very, very experienced. Oklahoma State is 19. Yeah, but I think it's like around 18 returning starters. I'll get to why that number actually came down. They obviously have the three-headed monster on offense. You have Sanders, Hubbard in the backfield, Wallace back at receiver. Stoner also at receiver. So the offense is loaded. Now, the offensive line was supposed to all come back, but they did lose Bray and Farrell. They got kicked off the team for violating team rules. So they added Sills from West Virginia, who was like, I think it was all conference, which will help the left side's really solid. But they lost the potential starting right guard uh, and Bray who transferred to Tulsa and then Farrell ended up transferring to North Texas. So there are some questions off its line, but the offense should be great. The defense last year was so young and raw and they started playing and now they're very experienced and they have some really good pieces at every level. They started playing really well at the end of last year in particular. And they rose, I think, from 80th to 37th in defensive efficiency from 2018 to 2019, and they bring almost everybody back. This team is scary. The question is, can they beat Oklahoma or run the table and get to the Big 12 championship? Gundy, 2-13 and 13 versus Oklahoma. What do you see with the Pokes? Yeah, that's obviously a problem for Gundy that he can't get over that, uh, that bedlam hump. But, uh, you know, I think I'm going to go through everything analytically from the number standpoint with Oklahoma State, and then I think I'm going to end with a question to you, and you can think about it. You know, you and I talk about teams that get punched in the gut and they've had some offseason traumatic things happen and then they're just done the rest of the year. We think about Missouri losing at Wyoming last year. Does Oklahoma State fit that bill if they take a couple tough luck losses at the beginning? So I'll leave you with that. But let me get into the actual analytics with with the pokes here, because everything on paper says I should love these guys. The road to the Big 12 two seed for giving Oklahoma the one seed, the road to the Big 12 two seed runs through Stillwater. You couldn't have asked for a better schedule than what the Pokes have, uh, especially leading up to October 24th when they host Iowa State. Uh, Tulsa, West Virginia, at Kansas, at Baylor, you couldn't have got a better start to this team. Uh, So, you know, they have the highest returning production marks on both sides of the ball, 75% to the offense, 86% to the defense. Uh, Oklahoma State did finish uh, uh, top 10 defensive and and defensive havoc. Uh, They finished 19th and passes the fence. So they're really good at swatting the ball out of the air. PFF took a swipe at Spencer Sanders because, you know, we're kind of in this boat that we didn't think Spencer Sanders could do no wrong. Uh, He does make mistakes, but, you know, when you lose Tylen Wallace, you know, you got to find somebody else to throw to. Uh, And, you know, Wallace coming back this year is just a huge boost. But, you know, PFF was – they just went to town on his accuracy. He had a 38% completion rate on passes 10 yards and over, which says he can't throw it down the field. Uh, Sanders' completion percentage drops from 68 to 47% when he has pressure. Uh, he took 17 sacks and 19 pressure dropbacks. That's a lot of sacks. You know, maybe with some maturity and another year under his belt, those numbers seem to have some improvement. But one interesting note is that Gundy was always leaving, leaving a guy 
back. There was always six players in pass protection, and they had an increasing rate of going up to seven defenders as the season went along, and Tyler Wallace wasn't an option anymore. They started leaving more guys in the box to to look after Spencer Sanders. So it's interesting to see if that happens this year. You know, one thing you got to do a shout out for is how important Chuba Hubbard is to this team. When I started looking at it, third down targets. Chuba Hubbard had 58 third down targets. The next closest to him was Dylan Stoner at 21. So there are some fantastic options here offensively. I think Wallace is a huge boost. It's going to allow Sanders to have single coverage with other, his other wide receivers. But my question here is, is will any of the things that happened in the offseason deter these guys from beating Iowa State and possibly playing Texas for the chance to be the number two seed? Yeah, the one thing I, you also want to start thinking about that I've, I started to look into today you hear news about some of these teams. We're not going to have fans the first month, but then we're going to start letting fans come in. So like, when do you play these big road games? Because that, that could make a big difference. Now, Oklahoma State has to go to Oklahoma, but we're assuming they lose that game anyway. And then the key to getting the two seed is you basically run the rest of the table. Well, they host Texas. They host Iowa State. And at the, you know, at the end of the year, the road games are at Kansas State and then at TCU. And TCU has major questions. Maybe that's... They need to win that game. That's a tricky game at TCU, depending on how that offense progresses. But they're at Kansas is their other road game. At Baylor, who's way down. I mean, the schedule is very easy. And, like, it could come down to that at TCU game or Texas at home. Uh, And I guess I should mention odds. Oklahoma's minus 120 favorite. Texas is plus 180. Per BetMGM, Oklahoma State's actually 7-1, to plus 700 to win the Big 12. Iowa State is plus 1,100. TCU's... 20 to one, you know, then you have West Virginia, Baylor, Kansas state, Texas tech, and then Kansas bringing up the rear at a hundred to one. The second team was getting a lot of love. And when I'm looking in, you know, if I was thinking about, I don't think I'm betting many win totals, if at all this year, but I'm going to take some shots on the conference futures. I already have Florida. I was thinking about Texas. And then I see this number and I'm like, I, I thought Texas and Oklahoma state would be neck and neck in that second tier behind Oklahoma. And remember, Oklahoma State hosts Texas on Halloween when you probably could have fans. And that game, you know, and obviously Oklahoma and Texas play on neutral field, but that game could determine who's the two seed and it's at Oklahoma State. So I think the value, if you're going to take a shot here, it's either Oklahoma State or Iowa State, if you believe in Purdy and what Iowa State is doing. But I think the value is Oklahoma State. But let's talk about Texas. The prairie skies are wide and high. Deep in the heart of Texas. Texas is an interesting team because it's a lot of experience. There's a lot of experience. They were 121st in returning production last year. And then they dealt with all those injuries on top of that. So they do bring a lot back. They lost, you know, some talent, especially receiver to the NFL, but they're reloaded there. Sam Ellinger comes back, one of the most experienced quarterbacks in the country. The one one of the big questions is what's going to happen with the new coordinators, right? Shortened summer, shortened spring. Now, they did have some – this happened before the bowl game last year, and their defense did look a lot better. They're moving from a 3-4 to like a 4-3, 4-2-5, I think a lot of. Linebackers, the weakest point of their defense, so it makes a lot of sense uh, to run a 4-2-5. And, and the defense looked a lot better in this scheme, which I think is a better fit. They have all juniors starting in the secondary, led by Stern, so the secondary is really talented if it can stay healthy. You know, the offense is intriguing, uh, but it's a new offensive coordinator – it's going to be a new system. I think you're going to get more tempo, less 11 personnel. The offensive line is pretty strong, you know, and they have Ingram back, a quarterback, and a five-star, Bijan Robinson, who could be a stud. Look, keep, keep your eye on him. So there's a lot of pieces here, but can they go to Oklahoma State and beat Oklahoma State? Can they beat Oklahoma? They have to do one of those two things, I think, in order to get to the Big 12 championship game. You know, with a lot of these changes in this shortened season with two new coordinators – at least you have an experienced quarterback. Herman's not going to be calling plays anymore. You're going away from a blitz-heavy Orlando Dean to this new scheme. How's it all going to work in Texas? Yeah, well, <laughs> I have to watch myself. I was so down on Texas last year. We, we caught flames with our listeners uh, for – I mean, but it was justified, and we were right with what LSU, you know, was able to beat him and cover that spread in Austin. But, um, you know, listen, Tom Herman is – one step away from being fired and this move to get some coordinators in here on both sides of the ball is his last dance. Cause if it doesn't work getting Mike Yurisich in, 
uh, former, you know, Ohio state guy, uh, getting Chris Ashen, another former Ohio state coordinator that was at Rutgers didn't work out there, but he was also a defensive coordinator at Arkansas. He was fantastic. He's got the right guys in place. And now Herman kind of wants to have this relationship with his offensive coordinator, like what he had with major Applewhite down at Houston. He wants major Applewhite to call all the plays down in Houston. And then he wants to be able to come in on third and short and fourth and short and make the call and play daddy to the OC and kind of put his fingers in there. And and then, Oh, it wasn't my fault when it, when it sucked and whoa, I'll take the glory. I helped make that call on third and one, but it's just not going to work. I mean, Tom Herman's running out of straws to pull out here. And it's funny. You mentioned like they dealt with injuries last year. Tom Herman brings that on himself because he rides them so hard during two days. That's a whole nother story. But I mean, I mean, the, when you practice at Texas, it's not an easy August and that's why they keep having injuries. And I think this goes back to a story that I just want to bring up from a recruit called Tommy Brockermeyer. Tommy Brockermeyer is the five-star recruit offensive lineman that was a shoe in to be at Texas. His dad was a longhorn. He's in Fort Worth. He was supposed to go to Texas last minute. Flip for Alabama. Why do he flip for Alabama? He tells everybody because of player development and getting people into the NFL. I just didn't see it at Texas, and it's happening at Alabama. This guy's dad played for Texas. I mean, I just I don't think Herman is the guy. He's very emotional when he's an underdog and can rise to the occasion. And for some reason, when he's playing Kansas up in Lawrence, he just can't turn it on and get it done. And this is not a characteristic that's going away. This is something that keeps on sticking with him. So you know, get a past that. This new offense, I saw it called Tempo Wrinkle. Uh, we're going away from a, a strict 100% 11 formation and going to 10, 20, and 12, which is quite interesting. A, a 12 set that we're going to go to and a Tempo Wrinkle, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, so I think we're searching for an identity. I think we, we have a ton of players back on defense. We're going to switch schemes around, uh, Roshan Johnson, you know, he's going to return back to the running back core after trying to be a quarterback as they're kind of the, the depth there at running back. Uh, I think there's a lot of questions here and uh, frankly, plus 180, not a good number to be buying the longhorns. It's more like plus 350 to plus 400 get me to buy them for the big 12, uh, you know, they generally have problems with Oklahoma State every year beating. I know they did last year, but before that, they had problems beating Oklahoma State for years. And listen, this is this is Herman's last stand, and uh, you can't fire any more coordinators. And so, you know, I, I am not on the Longhorns. We'll see the first time they're for, when they're an underdog, whether I'm going to be involved. It could be Herman rallying the troops. But after that, can he return and be a seven, eight, nine point favorite and coach properly and and and, and you know, we just can't be this underdog all the time. Why don't you go coach at UMass or Rutgers and see how you do there? Wow. Um, harsh words for Herman. Um, I will say the one thing, like, look, yeah, I would not advise investing a plus 180. I do. I think the defense is going to be a lot better. And, like, Orlando, this, you know, he also, his, his corners played with more of a cushion. Nash is a press guy. Mm-hmm. I just think that the scheme fits their, fits their roster a lot better. So I'll be watching their defense early. Um, but here's the thing. They go October 10th, they go to Oklahoma. If they don't win that game, they pretty much have to win at Oklahoma State. They're going to be a dog in that game, right? If you really like Texas, bet them as a dog that game. I mean, and instead of betting them to win the Big 12, or just wait until the Big 12, if they play Oklahoma, the Big 12 championship. I, if you believe in Texas and believe in the upside and think that they could win the Big 12, the better option might be a national title or to make the college football playoff. Okay, enough Texas talk before you piss off too many of our loyal Longhorn (laughs) listeners. Hope you're enjoying this great Action Network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you, Locked On 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked On podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search Locked On, your favorite team. Subscribe to your Locked On podcast. Uh, let's move on to Iowa State, who I mentioned has the fourth best odds per MGM at 11 to 1 to win the Big 12. Uh, Iowa State, interesting team. I love Matt Campbell. Brock Purdy is back. I was hoping that they, if the Big 12, what if the Big 12 started in October? <laughs> and October? Then the, season, the season ended on Halloween, right? We'd have national yeah, champions we would have to bet. We would have to bet Iowa State to win the national title. Uh, but Brock Purdy's back. They got a thousand yard back. In, 
returning in Hall. They have one of the best tight end groups in all of college football. The major question is that the offensive line, and they lost 146 starts along the offensive line. Mm-hmm. So, but they do get a 2008 starter back, but it's still, what's the offensive line going to look like? That's going to have a lot of say in what this offense does. But I mean, Purdy still put up a lot of numbers last year, even with injuries, set records. Defense should be solid again, uh, if not the best in the Big 12. They're 3 3 5 stack. They did lose well, Lima and Johnson in the interior, but they signed Blankson, one of the best Juco defensive tackles in college football. He should help fill that role. You could argue they have the best defensive line because they also get Bailey back, to, who was hurt last year to provide a pass. Or they have the best group of linebackers and the best defensive back as a whole. You could argue that. So, I mean, I think that they, you could say they're the best defense in the Big 12, um, as they did last year. You know, Greg Eisworth, I love him at the star position. So the defense should be solid again. Big questions on the offensive line. You know, last year, you look at it, they had three losses by a combined four points. Five of the six were by 10 or less, 10 or fewer points. So you would think, all right, if a couple bounces go their way, could this team get to the Big 12 championships? Thoughts on the clones? Yeah, I mean, I, I love Matt Campbell every year, and that three three five that they run is designed to be run in the Big 12 against some of these offenses. So... Uh, you know, they returned 73% of that defense that runs exclusively, exclusively that three, three, five, and they were 27th in defensive havoc. So where my focus was, you mentioned the offensive line. I was a little bit worried about that myself, especially when I saw that there was going to be two returning offensive linemen, uh, Newell and Downing, uh, are returning. And then I got deeper into it and I, I wasn't as much worried about it. They lose three starters, but they've cascaded their depth very nicely. Uh, they have three other offensive linemen that have double digit game experience. So even though they weren't starters, uh, you know, they've they've been in plenty of games and and, and won't it won't be too much for them to, to take on. The offensive line is important because you have to keep Brock pretty clean. I went deep into his numbers. No pressure, 75 percent completion with pressure, 48 percent completion, 18 sacks on 214 dropbacks. The kid is a Heisman Trophy winner if there were no hands in his face and no one within his bubble. And that's the problem is, is maybe just in October, people stop tackling and get around him. I don't know. You know, Brock Purdy is fantastic when there is nobody around him and the offensive line needs to work hard to make sure that keeps happening. Uh, you know, the wide receiving core loses Deshante Jones. He had 101 targets total last year. He was 24% of all the third down targets. So now Purdy's going to have to find somebody else. Michael Petaway is out after he had 88 total targets last year. Cola Milton and Hall are going to have to step up. I mean, they had a combined 167 targets last season. So hopefully they'll fill in nicely. You know, and over on the defensive side of the ball, the back seven gets the most heavily targeted players back from 2019. So the guys that need to have the experience and game experience. They're there for the defense. The problem that I have with these guys, not really a problem, is that I just said on Oklahoma State, the Big 12 two seed runs through Stillwater. That's a problem for Iowa State. They have to go to Oklahoma State on October 24th. They have to go to Texas a couple days after Thanksgiving on November 28th. Uh, More than likely, they're going to have to sweep those two games to get into the Big 12 championship game. And that's the reason why BetMGM has these guys at 11 to 1. You know, in my opinion, before we attack the rest of the conference, there's only four teams that can take up these two slots. And that's the four teams we just got done talking about. So in my opinion, I don't think Texas is going to make it. So I'll split a unit, a half unit on Oklahoma state and I'll split a half unit on Iowa state. And we'll see how we, you know, try to hedge that out. If Spencer Rattler is everything he's supposed to be. Yeah. And Iowa state goes to Oklahoma state and to Texas all after October 20 something. So there might be fans and, you know, in names at Austin. So it might make it tougher to even play in both of those venues. The one thing I'm watching with Iowa State, I love their coaching. I'm a huge Campbell guy. And they, they came up with this, you know, this 3-3-5 stack and to solve a lot of, I guess I shouldn't say solve, but contain a lot of these spread offenses in the Big 12. A lot of other teams are starting to copy it. They And, and it's not just a purely simple 3-3-5 stack. They throw in different looks. You might see more four-man fronts this year. But does that lose its effectiveness as teams have seen it more over the years and are copying it and get the practice against it? It's just something to watch. Defense was still excellent last year. Just kind of thinking out loud here. All right, let's move on to TCU per bet MGM. They are 20 to one to win the conference. Now, coming into the year, you say, okay, you know, I have Duggan coming back at quarterback. He has a year under his belt, but it looks like he's not going to play. I don't know. It's still up in the air. And if not, it's going to be, a Georgia walk-on, Matthew Downing, he walked on at Georgia behind Fields and Fromm transferred, and now it looks like he's going to start. 
they have major offensive questions. They lost the three tackles. They lost their best interior offensive linemen. So, I mean, they pretty much just have their center back. I mean, they lost a ton on the offensive line. They lost their top two backs. They do have some promising freshmen coming in. Keep an eye on Zachary Evans. He's a five-star. But right out of campus, he's still not ready yet. So this question's all over the offense. They run the Gary Patterson, the 4-2-5 defense. They have Wallet linebacker back. Oh, and also they lost Rager, uh, Jalen Rager, first-round draft pick, a wide receiver. But the defense is Wallet linebacker. They have a really, really, really good safety duo in Mooring and Washington. But they got to find corners. That's the, the big question. You're in the Big 12. They lost Gladney to the NFL. They lost uh, – so, I mean – they lost Blacklock in the interior, too. So the defense does have to replace some key starters. The main questions with TCU, the quarterback, the offensive line, and at corner. And those are bad problems to have in the Big 12. So one part of me said, hey, they lost six games by a touchdown or less last year. Their red zone D was so unlucky for, you know, a Gary Patterson defense. So I was like, I kind of want to buy TCU this year. And then Duggan gets hurt and uh, all these questions in the Big 12 makes it tough for me. Uh, thoughts on TCU? Well, it was, it's was it been brought to my attention by three people that aren't invested in the college football as much as you and me, that they were said that last year was supposed to be TCU's year. Patterson has a hot year, then he has a cold year, then he has a hot year, and last year was supposed to be the year, and it didn't happen. It's kind of like betting on the San Francisco Giants only in even years. You know, you just expect it to be there. But I started digging into this. When Duggan got hurt, and and I don't know, I, I guess you and I are maybe reading a couple different articles. I think he, he's done, right? He's, he's had a procedure done on his heart. Uh, he says that, you know, he, he's glad that he caught it in time. Something about COVID spurred him to look at what was going on medically with him. It's not disclosed what happened, but it was a heart condition that he had surgery on and that's it. And so that his, yeah, season, I think he's done season, for the year too. I just haven't yeah. seen it. Announced. So yeah, I, that's my understanding is he's done for the year. I just don't want to speak in. Um, yeah, of course we're not, you and I aren't, <laughs> you and I aren't doctors or anything. And, and the information we're getting is so high level, like not specific, but we just need to assume that Duggan's probably not going to play. So I went yeah. a little bit deeper into the roster. <laughs> well, first off, I was shocked to find there are eight other quarterbacks on this 2020 roster for TCU. Seven of them have never played in a game. Matthew Downing does have experience over four games, 10 pass attempts for Georgia as a red shirt. I'm sorry, as a, as a freshman, 2018 for Georgia. We're talking, Stuck and I have as much experience as seven quarterbacks on this TCU roster. So, uh, you know, they, listen, they were top 20 in success rate on defense last year. The defense is the, is, is the heart of this. Patterson's a defensive-minded coach. For TCU to, like, win this year, they'd, they'd have to, to, for them to even eclipse this win total I saw somewhere out there at six, they would have to sweep a schedule and upset Texas, OU, Oklahoma State, or Iowa State. Uh, I just I don't feel good about the direction of TCU. You can't get anything done. I don't care if you have 61% returning on your offense. You don't have a quarterback at all. And until somebody steps up and plays quarterback, TCU's not going anywhere, and they're not going to beat anybody, and they're not going to have these great underdog wins or covers like they did against Ohio State a couple years ago. We, we haven't heard from TCU in a while, and I think it's going to keep being a while because if you don't have a quarterback, it's been a struggle. Since the cheez Bowl two years ago, one of the worst offensive games I've ever seen between them and Cal, there's been the offense has been so putrid in Fort Worth and Cowtown. To give me an under on their win total, nothing in the conference here. Best of luck to Duggan. I hope he gets healthy because he, he has the, he could be, you know, a star in the Big 12. Uh, I'll pass on the Horn Frogs this year. Yeah. I mean, you have a completely raw quarterback situation in the Big 12 where you got to keep up with these teams with, a, with questions on the offensive line. Lost your top two backs. You lost Rager, wide receiver. Then on the defensive side, your linebackers will be solid. Your, your safeties are really good, but they lack getting pressure. They have, they really struggled to get pressure last year. And now they have to find corners in the Big 12. It's all bad. All bad news. All right, so let's move on to the team with the next best odds per bet MGM. That's West Virginia, 25 to 1. West Virginia last year, you know, it's the second year of your boy, Neil Brown. So you would think that there should be some improvement there. Jared Doach comes back at quarterback. They have a good wide receiver group led by Sam James. The question here, by the way, again, bad in the Big 12 on the defensive side, they lost Bailey and Washington. They're two lockdown corners. They got to find corners. That's not great in the Big 12. Uh, I know their defensive line is good with the Stills brothers, but the biggest question with West Virginia, and if they could find corners, their defense could be could be decent because their defensive front has pieces. The offense, and in the Big 12, you need offense. 
the offensive line has to get better. The I mean, this was arguably the worst. All, they had no running game at all. None. Zero. And I can't even blame the backs. I think they were 130th in, in adjusted line yards. I mean, they could have gotten no push. And the craziest thing is they lost McKivitz, their left tackle, who was co-offensive lineman of the year in the Big 12. <laughs> so this was the worst offensive line in the country, but they had a left tackle who was co-offensive lineman of the year in the Big 12. They lost him. So, I mean, until this offensive line can do anything, they're, you know, they're a step below um, the elite tier in the Big 12. And uh, I, if, I'm very curious in the corner situation as well. What do you see with that? your boy, Neil Brown, in year two down in Morgantown? I love Neil Brown. I mean, there's no secret about that. We were betting on him for a long time in the Sun Belt, and, uh, you know, glad he got the chance to come up to the Big 12, but this is not a good situation. Uh, from a scheduling perspective, they've only got four road trips. That's a good thing. They get the seller of the Big 12 at home. They get Baylor, Kansas, Kansas State, TCU. So there is some room there to get some home, you know, home victories for they got to travel all the way to Morgantown. They really, it comes down to can you beat TCU in, t- in Texas Tech? Uh, to get around, uh, you know, what what I think the expected win total was, was four before everything got shut down. So, you know, really the handicap begins and ends at the offensive line. If you look more into this, like you mentioned with the line yards, they're 122nd rank in offensive success rate last year. That's terrible. That's a UMass-ish. 123rd in sack rate on the offensive side. Then he's not being protected whatsoever. No quarterback's going to get protected with that. 130th in rushing success rate. Last. You made UMass not dead last in something. That's how bad West Virginia was at rushing success rate. 17 offensive linemen are on this 2020 roster. Just three are seniors. Those three seniors have combined 37 starts. When you get past those three, there's 14 other linemen here. Nothing to contribute. It's young. It's green. Uh, I think Neil Brown, we had a, what, a, a year zero? I think we're in year 0.1. I don't think we're in year one yet. Uh, let's give Neil Brown another pass in this COVID era uh, and and come visit the Mountaineers next year. I completely agree with you there um, with West Virginia. I think they're heading in the right direction, but they have too many holes this year. Uh, key positions to watch early on, offensive line and cornerback for me. The what, Bowl eligibility this year, what is, like, what is bowl eligibility this year? You win four I, games, three games? I don't. I think anybody can make a bowl. I mean, yeah, there's the too thing. many. Isn't there too many teams for bowl? There's too many bowls for teams. There's not enough. Year. There's not enough days for bowls because these championship games are like December nineteenth, and then January first is college football playoff. What are you going to fit them all in on Christmas Day? You're going to have eighteen Hawaii bowls. Which God, I hope we don't have eighteen Hawaii bowls. Get some pylon cameras. All right, yo, that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> the bowl situation is messy. We will talk about that later. But let's continue on to the Big Twelve. The team with the next best odds is Baylor, 35 to 1. This is a team that was in contention for a college football playoff spot late last year. But I mean, you want to talk about changes, and this is the year not to have changes. That's Baylor. Yes, Brewer comes back at quarterback, but this team, I mean, they have two new coordinators. They're going to have two new schemes. They're the only team in the Big 12 with a new head coach. You know, they lost Lynch, Arnold, and Roy, they lost three key players in the defense from all three levels. The defense could still be okay, but it's a rebuilt unit. I mean, and it's under Aranda. It's going to be a new scheme. I mean, everything is different with this team besides quarterback. They lost a ton. I don't think they have any prayer of winning the Big 12. Don't consider that 35-1, to which might look juicy thinking, hey, look, Baylor last year. This is a bad year for Baylor to be going through all this change. Thoughts on the Bears? Yeah, I think there is a little bit of a betting angle on them, not a season-long betting angle, but let's talk about Aranda coming in first. Aranda comes in and inherits, you know, just a mass departure. <laughs> if he'd have stayed at LSU, he'd have had the same thing, but he comes into Baylor and there's just been mass departure on both sides of the line. And, you know, their schedule is tough at Texas, at OU, at Iowa State. That's tough. Mm. Should be an underdog to TCU and Oklahoma State. So half their, you know, they're going to be, they're climbing, you know, from the bottom rung. And so I think what you would think if you're kind of a high level guy and don't get dig, you know, deep into the details, you would think, well, Matt Rule and Phil Snow ran a 3-3-5 for Baylor. And so these players should automatically know what Aranda is going to do because Aranda runs a 3-3-5. True, Aranda runs a 3-3-5, but he blitzes out of a 1-3-7, a 1-4-6, a 3-4-4. Aranda's got pieces moving around the chessboard at all. I mean, anytime the snap count's going on, he's hiding what he's about to do. 
And, you know, it's a completely different thing than what Phil Snow was doing with the Baylor defense. So a lot of simulated pressure. And Barrel Asher just wanted to keep everything in front of them and was yeah. more vanilla on the back end. Yeah, it's not going to be an easy changeover whatsoever. You may hear the formation is still a 3-3-5. It's not the same when it comes to disguising blitzes and things like that. So Baylor, just 32% returning production on the defensive side for a really complex scheme. That gives me a little worry. But if there's a betting angle with this team, Larry Fedora steps in as the offensive coordinator. You say, Larry Fedora, where do I remember that name? You remember that name because if you were following the Action Network podcast in 2017, uh, RIP Jitta Juice, uh, and then the 2018 Action Network podcast, he was the head coach at UNC at North Carolina. And we were betting second half overs on Larry Fedora's North Carolina offenses because their plays per game were just off the chart in the second half. And all of a sudden, Fedora was coaching uh he had top 20 iso ppp teams like two years in a row it was just it was one of the most unbelievable trends we ever saw larry fedora somehow learned how to score points really fast in his last two years in north carolina defense was an absolute disaster which is why he got fired or, or was not no longer with the program but he steps in after his six-year run with North Carolina, uh, increased his plays per game up till his 2018 departure. Same number of plays that Aranda dealt with at LSU last year. So, you know, with their whole revamp of what Joe Burrow ran last year, Aranda had to deal with, with the tempo and the pace that LSU was going to run. So that was a big change for Aranda, but he should be he should be accustomed to it after last year at LSU. So Fedora averaged a, a success rate of 80th at UNC over the years, over a span of years there at the end, and his ISO PP was in the top 20. So what you can expect from the Bay offense charlie brewer is going to be explosive he may not move the chains they may not have a great success rate but i think they're going to score they're going to have really big plays and if they can expose it on some of the bottom tier teams here i think you're going to get a lot of overs so expect me to look to play second half overs and maybe overs in general with larry fedora as an offensive coordinator i'll definitely be watching charlie brewer to see what they do all right let's move on now to kansas state uh per bet mgm they are 40 to 1 to win the conference uh kansas state look it is year two, climbing error. Uh, it's you would expect some growth there, but I mean the system didn't change that much from what it was. It was very run heavy offense. Skylar Thompson, experienced quarterback, dual threat, does come back, but they lost their top two backs. They lost their leading receiver, and they lost almost everything along their offensive line, which was the you know one of the strengths of the team. So, what is this offense going to look like? You know, Justin Hughes returns at linebacker. That should help the defense, but the front is raw. I, what they have, I think they have two returning starters on offense. I think that's all they have. I mean, leading receiver, both backs, the entire offensive line is gone. I mean, this is a completely rebuilt offense. One interesting note with Kansas State, they, were, they led the nation in red zone scoring last year, and they were dead last in red zone D. Which one of that regresses the most will be interesting to see. But what are your thoughts on the Wildcats down in Manhattan. I wanted to love you, Kansas State. I mean, you look at a victory over Oklahoma like they had last year, and you think, well, that's a young team with a young coach that maybe can have some building blocks in, in year two, kind of build on that. And then I started getting a little deeper into this team. I think maybe it's going to be another year before I'm buying in on Kansas State. 60% returning production on each side of the ball. That's okay. It's average. Uh, ranked 54th and 55th in success rate on both sides of the ball last year. It's pretty good for a year one coach. Skylar Thompson was an explosive quarterback. K-State was 32nd in passing EPA, uh, offensive line. They just couldn't control the line of scrimmage. They were 109th in stuff rate. That's terrible. They were 84th in sack rate and protecting Skylar Thompson. Skylar Thompson is an explosive quarterback because he would get outside the pocket and have to do everything on his own. So, you know, you should expect more slow play out of Kansas State. Last year, they were 127th in seconds per play. They liked a mill. Yeah, just a snail. Uh, So, you know, uh, then I got into the offensive lineman, and here we go with another team like West Virginia. Aren't they, like, aren't they replacing their entire offensive line? Yeah, I know yeah. it struggled last year, but like that's that's they need their offensive line. So maybe it can't get any worse, but I mean they lose everything. Eighteen yeah. offensive linemen on the 2020 roster. Only two players have starting experience in Josh Rivas and Logan Long. They have 38 appearances, not starts, appearances, and just three starts. So you hear 38 appearances for Josh Rivas and Logan Long, only three starts. And then there's 16 other offensive linemen that have no experience on this team. So uh, 40 to one is the proper number for these guys. I'll see you guys next year when you come back with, I don't know, 15 returning starters on the offensive line. Cause everybody's going to get time here. Yep. 
All right, let's move on to another coach in year two and Matt Wells uh, down in Lubbock at Texas Tech. He's got Bowman coming back, presumably healthy at quarterback, and Thompson at running back. Uh, that's a good sophomore duo to build on. What really jumped out of me about Texas Tech is last year they were 0-4 in one-possession games. They were one of three teams in the country to go winless in one-possession games with four or more. So you would think, hey, they were close in a lot of these games. The season really could have turned with a couple close wins instead of close losses. The defense did lose Brooks and Washington to the NFL draft along their front seven. And, but I don't know. I think this team is headed in the right direction. They had all those close losses last year, despite the quarterback position being in flux. Their secondary needs to get better. I think they were dead last in the nation in explosive passing allowed. That needs to get better in the Big 12, uh, specifically. 80 to 1 seemed a little high to me. I couldn't convince myself to actually invest in Texas Tech, but compared to like 40 to 1 with Kansas State, I, I seems a little off to me. Any thoughts on the Red Raiders? I remember two years ago putting a 30 to one down on Cliff Kingsbury. And I thought I got laughed off the podcast. Right. But that, I mean, it was, it was a little bit of a long shot, but listen, Lubbock is going to host two big boys this year. They're going to host OU and they're going to host Texas. So Texas tech is definitely going to have their shot to pull off. We know one of those upsets, maybe it'll be, you know, it's something they've done before in Lubbock, but it was under a different regime, five conference home games this year. They go on the road to Kansas state, Iowa state, TCU, Oklahoma state, at least half of those, they can win road games at Kansas state and TCU. That'll probably determine their win total. Not going to jump up into the upper echelon of the top four in those conference. You know, all of those teams that I just mentioned, they're power rated within three and a half points of each other. So it makes it extremely hard for me to get a read on these guys when we've got deficiencies at offensive line. We got deficiencies at corner. And with Texas Tech, it's kind of the same. You know, returning production 48% on offense, 70% on defense, but they're missing it in the important key areas. Alan Bowman is excellent when he's healthy and he has an open first receiver. You know, you do a deep dive on his numbers against defenses where he has to check down, his efficiency hits the floor. He does not know what to do when he has to look off his hot route. Uh, he is a PlayStation. What is that? Uh, what is the hot route X? Uh, so, I mean, when Alan Bowman has to go away from who he's already got in his brain when he, when he's ready to take the ball uh, from the snap uh, it, it's trouble for Bowman. So I think one thing is we just wish for full health here because we just can't seem to get it out of him or Jet Duffy either year. So I think they're going to stay in the middle of the pack. Uh, hopefully that's good enough to keep Wells off the hot seat. I think he is a decent coach. Uh, but you know, no play here for me. I don't care what the odds are, even if they were 100 or 120 to one. There's just a thing where the top four teams in this conference they have the primo quarterbacks, and they're the ones that are going to be in the championship game. Yeah, I couldn't bring myself to do it. Um, let's close out with some less miles talk. We'll close out the Big 12. <laughs> they are 100 to one to win the Big 12. Uh, don't even consider that. What number would you take? 500, maybe. <laughs> I mean, there's there's more COVID uncertainty, so you could have like teams you could have teams that just have outbreaks every week that they play Kansas right but uh it's the second year of Brett Deerman and his offense so maybe that's gonna take a step forward but they do lose Stanley at quarterback so who's gonna be the quarterback I don't know is it McVitie I think it's gonna be Miles Kendrick a junior he actually I think fits better he's more of a dual threat he fits better in Deerman's kind of RPO scheme so is this offense interesting early in the year i don't know i mean kansas is really bad tell us how bad they are they are so bad that i have coastal carolina favored by three points in lawrence here uh next week so uh, oh and i think they're three and a half point dog you're gonna you're gonna set twitter ablaze again yeah here we go yeah hashtag it um but uh no so Kansas lost to coastal carolina last year and now coastal comes to lawrence and i think if well, at least if I get a positive number on Coastal, I know I'll be taking them because Coastal has a fantastic offense, uh, but they are literally just a flat tarmac of a defense. So, uh, I mean, that know, game, that total, that total is going to be. <laughs> it's got to. Dearman. Okay. So, Dearman is the new offensive coordinator. In case, let, let's give a good shout out to Brent Dearman here. The new offensive coordinator midseason for Kansas last year came out on fire, had Kansas actually doing stuff with Puka, uh, Andrew Parchment. Uh, you know, they, they looked like a working offense and there were a couple overs in a row that we hit. 
But then Big 12 coordinators, defensive coordinators, got some tape on what Britt Dearman was doing. He's published a book on how to run the RPO. Uh, so they got a little brushed up on what his offense was going to be, and he you know, quickly got shut down. So we'll see what they come back with in his little sophomore campaign as an offensive coordinator. Parchment had 111 targets last year, but he had 37 poorly thrown balls his way. That's just not going to do it when you have almost a 40, you know, a 35% rate of things that are you know, poorly thrown balls is not going to get the offense down the field. So you're right. Quarterback is the biggest question. I project them with this new schedule at 0.9 wins. So, you know, if there's wow. a market out there for you to find it, listen, coastal should be a favorite. And I'm sure a week from now, when you and I are recording a podcast, I'll have a coastal bet down and I'll say wrong team favored and, and everybody can take their lap with their win. But uh, you know, their two top tacklers last year were safeties and they met their college expiration date. So, you know, they're, they're done having service time as a college player. So when your safeties, like multiple safeties are your top tacklers, that's not a good thing. Yeah. Kansas is bad. All right. So that's the big 12. So now let's quickly cover the ACC next in week two, the big 12 has a lot of really not, let me be nice here. They have a lot of unappetizing matchups. They play a lot of FCS teams. We'll talk about some of them. The ACC actually has conference games next in week two. So we'll be able to talk a lot about the ACC next week. So let's run through the ACC really quickly. Clemson is obviously the big favorite. You'll see at BetMGM, they're minus 500 to win the conference. What's interesting about the ACC this year is there's 15 teams because Notre Dame is joining the conference and they're not going to have divisions. You know, there's the two best teams are just going to play in the conference championship. My main question here with the ACC, what would happen if, you know, obviously we're assuming there's no Big Ten and there's no Pac-12, right? We'll get to UCF tomorrow's podcast, but I don't think that any power non-Power 5 team can get there with their schedules. So if we assume that these four, four teams have to come from the college football playoff, the SEC is probably the most likely conference to send two. I don't think the Big 12 has any chance. But the ACC, what if Notre Dame-Clemson split and they have one loss each. So Notre Dame, they play in the regular season. Clemson loses to Notre Dame. And then they play each other in the ACC championship. And then Clemson beats Notre Dame. You might have both teams, especially from like the committee would love that, getting Notre Dame and Clemson and like say Alabama and Oklahoma. So that's one of the things that I'm pondering. So I, as I just mentioned, Notre Dame does play Clemson. Clemson has Trevor Lawrence back at quarterback, Travis Etienne. The defense might be going back to more four-man fronts. The biggest question with them, they've lost some pieces, key pieces of wide receiver, but the offensive line, they have one starter in the offensive line returning. So, I mean, obviously this is Clemson, they reload. Uh, they've also been a great bet. I have to give props to Dabba. They're 43-24-2 against the spread the last five years. Notre Dame is obviously an intriguing team as well with the in-book. Their schedule, gets they go from Navy, Wisconsin, Stanford, and USC to Boston College, UNC, Syracuse, and Florida State. So they make out with that swap. And then you have UNC, who I think is the, probably the third best team with Sam Howe and that offense, probably a top 10 offense in Longo's second year. Just guys who can win one-on-one on the outside. Sam Howe, you know, coming back experience, but just an explosive offense. So is, is this just Clemson lock stay away as always? Or is Notre Dame or even North Carolina or someone else worth the flyer? I think if you can find North Carolina at 18 to one, you should probably take a little hit on that. And let me get into all the teams that we talked about. I'll just be, I'll do quick hitters. The name of the game with Clemson for me is something to monitor, right? Lost half of their doubleheaded offensive coordinator with Jeff Scott taking those, taking the job down at South Florida, something to monitor, completely depleted wide receiver core T Higgins, NFL, Justin Ross is injured. Joseph Nagata is still there. Uh, Mari Rogers is going to come back from injury. Something to monitor. Lawrence wasn't exactly perfect last year. Something to monitor. Isaiah Simmons, the only reason, well, Travis Etienne, but one of the reasons they beat Ohio State is because Isaiah Simmons was able to catch every single breakaway player for Ohio State. Isaiah Simmons is the reason Clemson won that game. He's not there. Something to monitor. The price should not be minus 500. You don't buy there. You don't buy at minus 450. You don't buy at minus 400. The proper price for Clemson for this round-robin play, top two seeds get in, is about minus 300, minus 325. So if you want to lay it with Clemson, that's where the number is. You see any minus 250s out there, that's a lot of value. Same thing with the college football playoff. You see them around minus 275 college football playoff, it's got some value. 
to go past that, I love North Carolina. I, I love everything about North Carolina. This is a team that's going to have a heavy amount of points. Sam Hell might finally start playing the other three quarters like he plays the fourth quarter, uh, where he is an all-star. Uh, there may not be a more explosive passing offense with Daz Newsom, Deami Brown. Offensive coordinator Phil Longo has a very long history of explosive passing offenses back from his days at Ole Miss here last year. This is no different. Uh, they got the right quarterback. They got the right receivers. They have the right amount of returning production. It'll be a coin flip game against Virginia Tech. North Carolina does not even play Clemson. They face Notre Dame off of a bye week. They get a bye week before they play Notre Dame. They don't play Clemson. And it's a coin flip game against Virginia Tech. I think a one-loss North Carolina team could easily get an ACC championship game. And so if you're looking at an 18-1, to a team that actually has a shot, a team that can score a boatload of points really fast with an offensive coordinator that's proven that he could do it, that's North Carolina. Oh, something to monitor. They almost beat Clemson. Just keep that in mind. Uh, I love North Carolina. I like Virginia Tech from a win total and not to win the conference. Return 89% of the defense. They were 18th in success rate. Hendon Hooker, it took him till the very end of the year before he started getting intercepted. Uh, great, great throwing into tight windows. One of the best in the nation. Virginia Tech's defense has a new DC, but he played for Virginia Tech. He's coached the secondaries, not much of a scheme change. I like Virginia Tech to give it a good run, but ultimately I think it's North Carolina to steal the second seed. Something about Notre Dame makes me extremely nervous. No one's taken more sacks since 2018 than Ian Book. His go-to wide receiver, Chase Claypool, 120 targets, is gone. Along with Cole Komet, second in targets, Chris Finke, Tony Jones Jr. Those three are, that's another 145 targets that's missing. So, you know, there's plenty of depth and the two deep in the offensive line. That's great. But the skill positions that Ian Book leans on, they're gone. They lose a little bit of havoc on defense. Not a big deal. Defensive coordinator Clark Lee is one of the best in the game. He's going to be a head coach someday. And Tommy Rees is really where the question marks are. He had a great Camping World Bowl, 33 points against Iowa State, but he's got to prove himself this year as a play caller. So I think there's, I have questions about Ian Book and what his ceiling is. I don't think his floor is low. I think his floor is actually pretty high, but how high is his ceiling, especially when he's missing his pieces? I think that they are limited on how far Notre Dame can go. To me, North Carolina is the team that's proven that they could beat a loaded Clemson squad. And they're the ones that have a favorable schedule by not even playing Clemson. 18 to one. I'll take a little piece of that. These tiebreakers could, I got to look into the tiebreakers for all this too. Like what if Notre Dame beats Clemson, but and finishes one loss, but UNC beats Notre Dame. Who's, I, I got to look into all this. If there's a big, that big of a price discrepancy out on UNC and Notre Dame, I would agree with you because this offense is explosive. And the defense has the potential to get better. Uh, just so I, I look, I'll spend 90 seconds going. I just want to mention every other team. I'll do a quick hit for every team. Colin, I'll give you a chance to weigh in after to see if you want to mention anything. Miami, Derek King comes in, which is exciting. Dan Enos, your boy is gone. They have a new offense coordinator. They're going to run a spread. Brevin Jordan's awesome as a tight end. There's still questions about the O-line. Uh, Rosa, Rosa the, their defensive end, opted out, which is really unfortunate because Roche, the defensive end, for was a stud from Temple. They would have had the best two best defensive end, the best defensive end group in all of college football, but he opted out. Opt-outs are a huge storyline in the ACC. You mentioned Virginia Tech, their star cornerback, Farley. He opted out. Huge loss. Um, Pitt, I love the Pitt. All the questions on Pitt is do they have an offensive identity? Their defense is so good. Twyman opted out, which is awful. He is so good in that interior, but their defensive line is still stacked. Their safeties are still monsters. Paris Ford is a stud uh, in that press man quarters defense. The question is about on Pitt is about their offense. Louisville, you mentioned Cunningham, Hawkins, Atwell. They're going to score. They're going to score a lot of points. Can their D take that next step and help them compete with the upper echelon? That remains to be seen. Florida State's the Mike Norwell era. Secondary, a lot of potential. And Marvin Wilson in the interior, but they're changing everything. They're going back to a 4-3, which four-man front, which I think is a good fit for them, but they're changing everything. Virginia, you got to replace Bryce Perkins. Brennan Armstrong going to do it. Their defense still should be good, but replacing Bryce Perkins, who's everything in that team, not going to be easy. Duke, Chase Bryce error. Is that who's the projected starter as of now? Clemson back up. Yeah, this team is not good enough to win the conference. Wake Forest, another opt-out. Lose Sage Surratt, one of the best receivers in the country. I do have to say they might have the best kicker in the country for Wake Forest, but the Surratt loss was huge. Boston College, new coach. Half is going to rebuild that D. But who's the quarterback? Speaking of who's the quarterback, NC State, who's the quarterback? And could the D get any turnovers? The lowest interception rate in the country last year, 
lowest projected turnover margin, but questions all over that roster. Same with Georgia Tech. They got to find a quarterback. Their offense is to do something. It's year two of Jeff Collins. You would think that there's some progression. If the offense gets better, the defense will get better because they don't have to be on the field all the time. Syracuse, new 3-3-5 scheme that no one knows about it except it's one coach and they lost their spring, so changing their whole defense. The offensive line is still a mess. It's a lot of change in Syracuse, which is not what you want this year. So I had to throw in – I had to get a mention of all the ACC teams. But like I said, we're, we're going to talk about all of them next week when we talk about other games. What, what teams did you want to add something in on? Well, let's throw something in on Florida State. They had the highest run disruption rate of any other team on the offensive line in the nation. Please, you now have a Purdy there as a freshman, a Chuba Purdy. Uh, have some better offensive line play. Uh, you are a sell until you see it. Louisville, no Clemson on this schedule. Season ends with Virginia, Cuse, BC, and Wake. Don't sleep on the Cardinals. NC State, uh, Dave Dorian was outside the top 100 and passing success, rushing explosive and pass explosive. Uh, thank you, next. Dave Dorian is probably done. Boston College, uh, Halfley, you know, defensive coordinator for Iowa State, decided to hire his buddy as the offensive coordinator, Tony Signetti. Uh, he's been a quarterbacks coach for Aaron Rodgers and Eli Manning the past seven years. And I don't know how that makes him qualified to run a college offensive team uh, set, but, uh, that's, what's going to try to happen at Boston college. Uh, you know, wake has lost a lot. Syracuse. I don't know what they're doing up there. The days of Eric Dungy kneecapping people in the face is over. DeVito is not a good as a value value over replacement of Vort player. Uh, Cuse was 122nd success rate last season. It doesn't seem like that's going to get any better. Uh, and finally on pit, it looks like the Mark, Mark Whipple offensive coordinator experience didn't really pan out last year in the advanced stats. I think, uh, Narduzzi is going to be looking for a new coordinator, maybe on his last legs there at Pitt about a year from now. And, you know, sorry. But that Uber. pit D is good, man. The pit D is good. Yeah. And it's fantastic. A havoc. And that's why, you know, we, we will always cherish our central Florida win. we will never say anything bad about Pitt. but the Mark Whipple area, just Mark Whipple era did not produce anything you know like i thought it would last year uh which led me finally to a loss i mean i think we wrote them for four weeks in a row but let me slip in georgia tech i think georgia tech is they're going to rebuild they still fought hard they still won games they went to overtime they lost to the citadel they beat miami crazy ass waffle house george call <laughs> first year throwing to the tight end for the first time in 18 years in atlanta i mean it so, you know, good on Georgia Tech. They're going to get better, not this season. And Miami, I, I don't get this at all. I'm so glad Miami opens with UAB, a havoc-minded defensive team, and Derek King is going to be running for his life. Uh, this team lost to Duke. This team lost to, in Shreveport. This team lost to Georgia Tech. Uh, I don't know how all this love for Miami is in this market to win the ACC. It's not going to happen, even though you shed the worst offensive coordinator, uh, at least in Arkansas's history, in the name of Dan Enos. So that's it for me on the ACC. We'll have much more next week when we talk about all the ACC games in week two. And just a reminder, we're going to have our week one preview podcast out tomorrow. We'll go through all five games, including Monday night football between Navy and BYU, which I know everyone in the world is going to bet. Yeah, make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, leave a review, tell a friend, tell an enemy. It really helps us out. We appreciate all of you listening. And then make sure you check out the Action app at actionnetwork.com for all of our college football content and the track, all of your bets. Um, and again, thank you to BetMGM to being our podcast's official odds provider before we get out of here and you'll be able to find even more info on these games on the action network app colin quick thoughts on the thursday night games will you be betting anything and what should people look for Absolutely. I'm waiting on a line to come out on Central Arkansas versus UAB. Uh, the right team will be favored here, uh, UAB. They already are at 14 and a half in some markets out there. Uh, but what I'm waiting for is a first half line. And, you know, to be more specific, I like UAB, love UAB a lot. We are a, uh, we are devoted to Bill Clark here. He's one of the best covering head coaches, 31 and 18, I think, even back in 2014 before UAB was out of football for a while. I think what you need to think about is UCA just played last week. Uh, they started off extremely slow. Uh, they got to the P35 yard line in 11 of 15 drives. They struggled to score points, but this first half struggle by central Arkansas is not something that just happened in this game. It's something that happened in every single game for UCA last year. So if you go and look it up, we'll have more of this, you know, in a write-up, but they just had six points, six points in the first half against Austin P last year. They had seven, in the first half against Illy state. They had three points in the first quarter against incarnate word. And they ended up scoring 52. They had three points in the first quarter and a 30 point effort against Stephen F Austin last year. They blanked Southeast Louisiana, but they had zero first half points against Sam, Sam Houston State. 
They won 29, 25. They, they, they were blanked the first half against Nichols. Uh, they had zero first quarter points against Hawaii. This UCA team can't score in the first quarter in the first half. UAB, meanwhile, if you go and look it up, UAB second quarter points last year in 2019, 124. How many points do they have in the fourth quarter? 27. There's a UAB first half play tomorrow. There'll be more over on the Action Network. By the way, I just want to mention UAB is one of the most experienced teams in the country. Yeah. They bring a ton back. And this is such a unique habit. scenario. You have You have a team – that's on like four or five days rest. They played on this past Saturday. Now they're playing on Thursday against a team that hasn't played yet. That is, I mean, the preparation and the, the rest advantage. And it's basically the second straight road game. Central Arkansas played in Birmingham. Wait, now they're going to play in Birmingham again. They didn't leave. I guess they're going to stay there. Yeah. Yeah. It's still a horrific situation for them. But the other game, the first FBS matchup of the year is a hilarious one. Uh, Southern <laughs> Miss and South Alabama. South Alabama, I made a joke on Twitter, improved like 60 points in my power ratings when all these conferences dropped out. That was the only piece of positive uh, news I could offer for South Alabama fans. Um, I think South Alabama, what's, what's their 15-point underdog right now? Yeah, I, I make this game 13.5. Not much, you know, a little small edge here to what South Alabama's going. But what you're betting on is that the game's probably going to be at Southern Miss by 21 and you're waiting on a, a last-minute pick six or something like that for them to have a backdoor cover. It's got backdoor cover written all over it, so there's not much value in that. I do make the total 48.5. It's been sitting at 53.5 for about two days now. I'd like it to get to 54. I'd like to take an under on this game. Specifically, Southern Miss, they're not a deep ball-throwing team. They're a dink and dunk. Abraham just likes to – he's zero to nine yards on all of his passes – Burns a lot of clock. They're not extremely fast. You know, Southern Miss ended 2019, 122nd and Havoc allowed. They're not, they don't take care of the ball whatsoever. And South Alabama is one of the worst teams in the world at converting, you know, field position into points. So I'm going to like to take a little bit of an under here, maybe a half unit on an under, but I'd like to get to 54 first. All right, fair enough. We'll have more on the action app and actionnetwork.com. Uh, Kyle, thanks for joining me as always. Good stuff on the Big 12. Don't forget, we're going to have our week one preview tomorrow. And then we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming starting next weekend. Each week, we'll have a preview episode for those week's games that will come out on Friday. We'll have a weekend recap that comes out on Monday. We'll talk about any weekday games as well. I don't think we're going to have too many this year. So we'll be back in business until college football lets us. uh, And then hopefully on to college basketball. But again, don't forget to subscribe, unsubscribe. Uh, Thanks again for listening. And we'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out. We're finished talking.